Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Sension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. So a question was raised on the uh, sunset, and it was one in particular about leadership, kind of, and it's the passage where the quote that you have here, I'm not sure which version you have, Um, do you know which one you have? The Penguin Classics. Okay, so Penguin, Penguin's never a bad version. Um, you can't go too wrong there. And so the penguin translation is command is wisdom, integrity, compassion, courage, severity. And then you wanted a little bit of expanding on that and how does it apply to a modern leader or a law enforcement officer or the practice of law enforcement. In, in particular, um, the virtue of severity. Um, so let, let me just speak generally on this first. I think it is very important that you understand the culture out of which Budo and therefore Aikido originates. I think it is, it's more important than a teacher, especially a teacher who doesn't know the culture. So my thing is, architecturally, so technique-wise, waza-wise, um, a teacher is not that important architecturally. For me, the three determining factors for whether you get to the deeper levels of a technique of waza is not at all who you trained under. That's part of that federation, political fiction, that Ponzi scheme. So that a lot of people can say, oh, I trained with this person. And of course, you know, the whole seminar system is is involved with that. But it's all a joke. You barely, barely anyone feels the teachers technique at a seminar, for example. Most times the person giving the seminar doesn't even know your name, yet countless people are comfortable saying they learned this from so-and-so or they trained with so-and-so. Most times at seminars, you you do a technique a little bit here or there. It's totally restricted upon who your partner is, whether you can actually even do it or not, because you can't guarantee their chemi skill, their assumptions about the art, how it's practiced. The degree of intensity is unknown, whether it's shared or not. Yet, many, many people place great value on it because, by extension, they place great value on lineage. For me, the top three determining factors on whether you gain insight into the tactical architectures, the techniques, are the following. You need to train about six, about four to six hours a day. That has to be your minimum. There's many ways to do that. You can't and shouldn't think only in terms of class. You can. Like there's a way here to get that in class time, but you don't need to do that. There's plenty of things that you can and should be doing throughout your day to make that training level practical and possible for you. 
it's something I learned in sports. It was just what everyone did. Anybody that was trying to get any kind of Olympic consideration was doing that at a minimum. It wasn't unheard of for the world champions to be six to eight or for even people that were looking to be national champions during certain parts of the year to jump up to six to eight. But you couldn't, you, you weren't expecting, no one expected you to be a national contender if you're training under four hours a day. And while this is not a sport, you can, by extension, note in such a large population pool as the nation, if you're in that top tier where you're attending the Olympic training camp, at a minimum, you're probably pretty skilled at your sport, so you're probably pretty skilled at the craft around which your sport is involved. It's just a reasonable assumption. So the same thing applies. I took it from my sport background and applied it. Hey, if you really want to learn this craft, then you have to give it that four to six hours minimum. So that's number one. Number two, you need to know the culture out of which the art came from. Because the Art itself is a cultural expression. It's not open to our modern minds or our modern eyes. Our modernity makes us blind to it in many, many ways. And so we mistake the obvious or the superficial for the deep and the meaningful. And as a result, we don't ever look for the deeper aspects. The Budo Aikido is born from another culture with another modality for thinking and for understanding the world. And it doesn't make sense, but within that culture, within that modality, within that discourse, so you need to know that culture. With that culture, it, you can find or use a kind of roadmap to understand at a deeper level, as I said, what is this technique supposed to be doing? And it goes beyond that. What does this training paradigm do? What are the assumptions that this culture holds about mind and body, agency, subjectivity, objectivity? It's not until I know the answer to those things that I can finally begin to understand not only, for example, why Ikkyo looks like Ikkyo, but why Ikkyo is trained like Ikkyo is trained. So number two, I need to know the culture of origin. And number three, faith. I need faith to use that roadmap because that culture is going to be foreign to me. It's going to be beyond my own reality. It's going to be beyond my doubt and my imagination because I come from a different culture. And my inclination is going to be to usurp the techniques, to make them modern, to make them understandable, to modernize. So at a certain point, I have to have enough faith in what the culture is telling me is possible, is going on, 
because my first impulse is I, this doesn't make any sense to me, so this is probably not something I should be doing. Let me turn this into, for example, a self-defense technique. Let me turn this into a one-to-one, -one, if then, kind of situation. Which is absolutely foreign to the culture of origination. So I need these four to six hours. I need a cultural insight. And I need to have faith to help me with my own cultural bias, to help me get over it, to help me hang in there long enough to apply those four to six hours and to wait for that culture to start becoming my culture so that the techniques make sense to me in the way that they were designed to be. So nowhere in there do I need a teacher. I don't need a teacher. The teacher in Budo is not part of the tactical architecture transmission problem or issue or solution. The teacher in Budo is very much like the master in Zen. The teacher is that mirror, that tool, that technology that the deshi or the monk uses to see themselves with, to see what? Their mind, the state of their heart's mind. Is it still in a pathological state of reactivity and self-attachment or has the deshi developed a skill at releasing and detachment? Is it unfettered? The teacher is just a mirror that, that's what you need the teacher for. You need another human being for that. But for ideal phases, for tactical architectures, no. You need time, you need a roadmap, and you need faith, and that's it. So in that sense, a work like the Sun Tzu, like Art of War, is important. Because that discourse is part of the same culture of origination. And equally, I cannot make the same mistake. I need to understand that text from its own culture, not from my culture. So the passage that you, you raised this point on is actually part of a larger passage. And you need to understand it in terms of that. And that larger passage is part of a larger discourse, which we can say now can be described as Taoist, Confucian, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But the ideas that go into making Aikido, Ikkyo, Nikkyo, how those techniques are designed, how they are employed, as, we, as I said in the last, last conversation, they're based upon universal principles like yin-yang, the Tao, wu-wei. And so too is this text. The Sun Tzu is based upon the same principles. So reading the Sun Tzu, reading the Art of War, can help me learn more about that culture, that system of thought. Do you understand? That's what I mean, that system of thought, that particular way of understanding the world. Reading the Sun Tzu can help me understand that cultural origination, which in turn will help me pursue the deeper aspects of Aikido's tactical architectures because it's the same culture. So when you, when you read that larger section of the passage that you gave, 
It lists certain things and they are repeated over and over and over. Because this was the dominant discourse at the time that the Sun Tzu was being written, at the time that Chinese martial arts were evolved. We're talking centuries. All the way through Ueno Sensei's doing his martial art. Certain concepts. The Tao, Heaven, Earth, Yin, Yang. And what you want to pull out from these things, I would, I would want you to be more interested in not, not in a kind of, you know, Jocko solution like, hey, here's how the modern leader can benefit from reading the Sun Tzu. I, I don't care about that. I want you to learn this culture. So what, what is the cultural idea behind this Tao and heaven and earth and man and etc.? Let's just put it in our own modern terms for now. It's just let's start with this. There are better ways of doing something and worse ways of doing something. It's a kind of universal principle at work here. Not all ways are equal. Do you get that? The ways that are better are going to be better dependent upon what you want. What's your end result? But your end result is also going to be broken down further. And in the Sun Tzu, a lot of it comes down to economy. What is the way that you can achieve your end in the most economical manner? There's a kind of bare bottom rationale to that. In other words, if option one leads to A and option two leads to A, but option two costs twice as much, whatever it is, requires twice as many resources, takes twice as long, twice as much energy, etc., then option two is inferior. Well, that idea, there's no jujitsu without that idea. Economy. That's what I want you to pull out. Now we go a little deeper. Because these concepts of Tao and heaven and earth, yin and yang, they're actually not positive concepts. They're what I call negative concepts. It's like a, I know it's there because there's an effect that is happening. Kind of like I tell you, we knew certain planets were there not because we saw them, but because there was obviously a gravitational field hap happening on other bodies in the area. Well, that's kind of like how the Tao is. How, which one is the Tao? Well, the more costly option, option two, is not the Tao. So I have this, these inverse or these reverse or these negative concepts. They are heavily determined by things like economy to the point where the most economical option is the one where you don't do anything. This is Wu Wei. So the highest ideal of the Tao or the highest ideal of harmonizing yin and yang is where you achieve the most by doing nothing. Again, 
That's your art. When you do your art right, it will feel like you didn't do anything. But there's a, another thing we want to apply. These concepts are all concentric. So they're not only negative concepts or inverse concepts, they are concentric concepts. So, so in heaven, so on earth. So on earth, so in heaven. And so I can take a description of a commander and I can look at it in terms of both the larger unit the military, the army, or I can look at it in terms of is this in accordance with heaven and earth or is this in accordance with the Tao? I can look at the many and I can look at the one. So when you have this concept of the commander and we use these terms, these translations, you can, of course, and should apply them to yourself as an individual. So here, here's a translation. You also asked me which translation is, is a good translation. I think you ought to read as many different translations as you can. That will always help. But if you really want... You know, you're going to do that and then try to find a translation that includes the original language. That's iffy nowadays because uh, this was written like 2,500 years ago. That Chinese is not modern Chinese. So there's already some translation from ancient Chinese to modern Chinese. And then now you're going to make it into English. So even if they include the Chinese and you have the... the um, the ideograms is probably modern Chinese. You're already a translation away. So, but it helps. I also look for translations that the author put in lots of footnotes to explain why they translated a word this way and not another way. That also helps. And so you combine that with you reading many, many translations and also many, many discourses that help you learn these cultures, you start to realize what, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. So on the, on the Penguin Classic that you gave, um, and here's another translation we have, which does include uh, modern Chinese ideograms in there. And so it starts out, a moral compass brings the people into accord with their ruler so that they will follow him in life and in death without fear. You're like, moral compass. And you get another translation and they, they say uh, the Tao, following the way. Okay. And this guy's nice enough where he does have a footnote and you click the footnote and he says, although the art of war is essentially a practical handbook, Sun Tzu incorporates philosophical principles from both Confucian and Taoist discourses. The character I have translated as moral compass is Tao. I would never translate uh, the Tao as moral compass. Um, that's one understanding of it, but not all of not all the possible understandings. So the same way in this description that you had, um, you had severity. And once you read enough, like when I saw severity, I go, no, 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 that, that's not it. Because what, what you realize is, oh, he's just following the, the already present Confucian Taoist discourse. He's using it because he's writing to people that also use it. So he has to make sense to those people. So he's not going to invent a new way of thinking. He's going to use that current way of thinking which will, of course, carry more weight when you're working with concentric philosophical positions. Meaning, hey, you used this Confucian discourse when you were trying to figure out how to be a good parent. 
Well, I'm going to use this same discourse to figure out how to be a good emperor. Hey, I'm going to use it to figure out how to be a good commander. Do you see, do you see that? And it just goes on and on and on like that. So what, if you're reading a lot, if you understand the culture, you're going to immediately recognize, man, this is just the, the same Confucian virtues and they're just implying this concentric application of these philosophical universals. And so severity, mm, that's a bad translation for that Confucian term. Okay. So if we go to this translation, um, this guy says, The general must be possessed of wisdom, honesty, benevolence, courage, and discipline. So not severity, discipline. And I think that might be a better translation. And here's why. The Confucian principle here, when we apply this to the self, I think that's where you see it more, more readily. So I am going to practice this way, the Tao. It is a way that is, uh, does one thing better than other things because there's better ways of being than there's lesser ways of being. Basically, I'm going to find a path of wisdom. I'm trying to avoid ignorance. I'm trying to avoid costly expenditure, self-sabotage. Oh, how do you do that? Well, here's how you do it. You got to be wise. Yeah, yeah, got that. You got to be honest, right? Because... Think about it. How wise can I actually be if I am going to lie to myself about who I am and what I'm doing? That's how these concepts, these philosophical concepts work. Um, as I told you, they work in the inverse. So they're like, okay, you got D, but what do you need to have before you can have D? Well, you got to have C. Okay, is there something that I need to have before that? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And they go down like that. And eventually you trace it all the way back to what? The Tao. You need the Tao. Okay, so let's start with his list. Wisdom, nope, before wisdom, honesty. This is a huge problem in our training, right? We know. Let's take tonight's class. The way of moving is explained to you. It originates from decades of more training than you have. It is kinesiologically sound. It is empirically validated. Yet, you do not do it. You do not put your knee down where or when you're supposed to. You do not move the arm how you're supposed to. You don't hold the arm how you're supposed to. You're sticking your thumb inside their grip. You're holding their tricep, not their elbow. You have your feet sticking out. And it's not just once, is it? It's like over and over and over again. How is it possible that I continue to make the same mistake? Because I don't see myself. There's a kind of blindness to who I am, what I am. And I can't practice wisdom until that blindness is remedied. So here, the translation is honesty. Hmm. I bet you go to another translation, you get another word, another translation, another word, another word, another word, and you start going, hey, this is just about self Accuracy. Am I being deluded? Am I being self-deceptive? Next one, they go, oh, okay. You're going to have to work on that. Now, how low? And they give you benevolence. What? What? How? What? I don't get it. 
Well, think about it. What are what do people do? What do you what do we see? Well, am I being kind to myself when I'm not seeing myself? Or is it really quite cruel? Remember, they're interested in end results. That's why he gives you all those quotes about uh, the greatest victory is the one you achieve right, without fighting. Why? Because it costs to fight. It costs lives. It costs trust. It costs money. He's interested in the, these ultimate answers. Let's, let's bring that to a law enforcement thing. You might win that confrontation with an assaultive suspect, but you're going to pay. You're going to go to court, right? You're going to get an a internal affairs investigation. There's going to be lots of stress. Oh, you're going to pay. These counselors of ancient China are looking at the big picture. Hey, is it really worth it? We tend to think like football fans, right? Victory, win. They're like, oh, you might actually lose by winning this. Because it's going to cost this. So in many ways, the exact opposite is probably more what we want. So, or reverse that, we're actually being cruel to ourselves, for example, when we're not being honest with ourselves. Because you're robbing your chance at the better way. I, I've seen some people who Get corrections, you know, and they're like, uh, 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 and they get all angry and frustrated with themselves. Like, what does that have to do with making the correction? I've trained long enough. I have trained with enough people, and I have taught enough people. I have never seen that personality make it. They're always there, though. And people tend to think, Wow, they've got a they got a lot of gusto. They must be a really serious person. No, it's always an act. The person that makes real corrections just makes them. There's no self-disgust. And there's no self-deception. And this is you know, everyone wants to talk about that. You need to love yourself. But this is the ancient way. See yourself. You need to see yourself. Don't hide yourself. To accept yourself is to see yourself. Most of us, though, we take so much energy and time to hide who and what we're doing. So you know my personal practice. Every once in a while, illness or an injury or work gets in the way, and I'm telling you, I'm just thinking about what am I not doing? Which part in my training, in my coasting with or on. So when I come back, right, hey, we got another hour on this, another hour on that. We're going to do this now. See yourself. Oh, but I find that very hard to do. I don't know how to do it. I mean, I... I I get what you're doing, but it seems when I'm in the shit, I turn a blind eye to me because you're afraid. It says right here, you need courage. I, 
I've never, I've never known anyone. Please tell me if you do. Somebody who is turning a blind eye to them. All the mistakes they're making, all the corrections they're not making, all the excuses they're giving, all the explanations that are getting in the way, all the justifications. Look at all those things and tell me if you ever go, that's a really brave person. Sometimes you just want to hold them. Hey, hey, it's going to be okay. Because you can, you can feel the fear. Courage is huge. I might even put that last. It's so huge. That, that virtue is so potent as far as self-transformation goes. So potent, you don't have self-transformation without it. This is why in our Buddha practice here, fear is always brought to the table. We, right? we set a banquet up, and we got a chair at the end for fear. It doesn't matter who else is coming. That chair is fear's chair. Doesn't matter what we're eating. It's because to me, in my experience, my life, my practice, the absence of courage, right, is the, is the, 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 the opening weakness, the beginning of the downfall. It takes a lot of balls to go, you're not doing that. You're not getting it. Same, same way as I, in my life experience, somebody who sees their errors and makes immediate corrections never gone, man, they're very, they're so cowardly. They're not. They're brave people. So I, I was a boy and I was exposed to the two world champions in speed skating and you know, you don't know. You think, I'm just going to try hard. I'm gonna try hard. But when I when I trained with them, I could just tell, man, you are different. They 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 felt like machines to me. I described them to myself like machines. Looking back, what am I describing? They're not going up and down. They don't have this emotional turmoil. They just saw the problem, made the correction. There's a huge degree of confidence there, right? That somebody who is turning a blind eye to themselves does not have. So courage has to be understood in that sense where there's a kind of confidence there. A kind of faith in self that you can make the change, make the correction, and move forward. And there's a kind of all that being gone in somebody who turns a blind eye to themselves. So courage is huge for me. They go one further. Hey, Before that, discipline. Remember, we had one translator define this word as severity. One is discipline. It's the source of courage. 
And courage is about seeing oneself, about confidence, about correction, about moving forward, about getting out of one's own way. And what can I make of discipline and severity? I would say holding true. Holding true when you don't want to. Holding true when you don't feel you should, you don't feel you can, you don't know how. So I watched like tonight's technique. Nobody can step where they want to step, where they're supposed to step. They can't do the hand and the foot and the shiko. They're not doing it. What comes into my head is like, why? That why is there because there's nothing on the other side. There's nothing on the other side. Are you going to hold true or not? Hey, if you're not, you're not. There's no more practice for you. There's no more virtue for you. That's it. You couldn't do it. You could not hold true. So courage is not yours. Benevolence is not yours. Honesty is not yours. Wisdom is not yours. Or reverse it. If you can't hold true, hold true to what? What do you think? The way. How do you know that? Because see, then you would have these, you'd have courage, honesty, uh, wisdom, benevolence. But for us, Hold true, hold true, hold true, right? To the way. Well, we're not of the way. That's, the, that's why we're here. So go a little deeper. Hold true, hold true to not fall for my own inclinations. To not be lured by my own comfort zone. Or to not act upon my own pride, my own fear, my own ignorance. So this, the severity is self-directed. The discipline is in light of these ends. This is how I see Kihonwaza. As when I was coming through, that's how it was shown. That's how you do it. This was my training angle. That perspective does two things. One, it is the fastest way of getting yourself in the ballpark. Doing your own thing is inventing your own Aikido, so to speak. There's no point in being in a dojo if you're going to do your own thing. You don't get to the benefit of having somebody already you know, be a stepping stone for you so you don't have the kind of acceleration that is possible in your own acquiring of the information. But you also don't have the practice of getting out of your own way. You don't have the practice of discipline. You're just doing what comes naturally. 
It's not that it's being weighed against wisdom. It's not that it comes with true insight in one's own performance, right? It comes with blindness. It comes with blindness. It's kinesiologically unsound. It's tactically unsound. And most times we're choosing it because we're afraid. So here I have this technology of the self, Kihon Waza, but I just do whatever. And when I do whatever, I'm not doing self-displacement. I'm doing what is comfortable to me. I'm in my comfort zone. So somebody who's doing the form as prescribed, as a kion, they are going to learn in a more accelerated fashion. Maybe at some point your technique gets decent enough, let's just say. But you know what you'll never get? You never practice self-displacement. So you will never have discipline. And when the shit hits the fan in your life, and you can't find the wise course, and you cannot do anything but self-sabotage because you're too afraid, then you don't have discipline to pull you out of that nosedive. So if we, if we tie this in just at the very end to your question about the modern leader, the modern leader is, kind, is somebody who's running their own being like a kind of general over a whole army. And these are the virtues that you use. In yourself, you use these virtues. And when you have them in yourself, the larger Confucian discourse, because of their concentric philosophical nature to these principles, then, without doing anything, you will be such a leader to people who work under you or who follow you. You don't look to manage them. You look to manage yourself, and presto magico, so... Kung Su tells us, without doing anything, without being other than this, they will follow you. You're like, oh, I'm not sure. Well, that's where that faith comes in. But in my life experience, when I see a leader who does not have self-discipline, who does not have courage, who does not have self-benevolence, right? Who does not have wisdom. Man, they are always forcing their leadership role. They have to intimidate and they have to punish. And again, is that going to be a true victory? No, no. Because your men hate you. They won't go above and beyond for you. They won't give you the benefit of the doubt. They won't follow you through thick and thin. The leader who can do this will lead through Wu Wei. And you will be a leader, whether it will be you're leading a class, you're leading a team, 
you are a patriarch or a matriarch in your family, or you have to step up in a friendship or a love affair to find the way and to bring someone else there. And every time you fail at one of these virtues, you're going to have to artificially force the situation. And as a result, your leadership is too costly. It is not economical. And as a result, it will not be in accordance with heaven and earth. It will be out of alignment with the way And it will not do what you think it's going to do. It will do its opposite. So in, in closing, when you come to law enforcement, you come to people in a state of crisis. We get called to people at low points of their lives. They are in a crisis. And without even knowing it, you can add to the contention. Or you can practice these virtues in yourself. Go there, make contact, and you can reconcile the contention points. And you can do things like Sun Tzu says. I can achieve the greatest victory because I will not have had to conduct a war. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.